Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Chris Zarnick. And yesterday, we saw something that has only happened seven times in the 62 seasons of football at Lambeau Field, and that is the Packers failed to score even a single point. And... Chris, I wanted to start right out the gate by sharing my observation from yesterday, and that is you and I text the whole game, and you have the coach's mind, so you're always seeing things that the Packers could perhaps adjust and should try to potentially um, counteract what the opponent is doing. And to your credit, yesterday, many of the things you suggested, they tried shortly after you suggested them. They need to get back to running the ball, you said, in the second half. They need to run screen passes. Well... After you suggested they run the ball, they attempted to run the ball and failed miserably at it, including a fourth and one where they needed an inch and couldn't get a single blade of grass. Then you asked them to run a screen pass, and it looked as if the Baltimore Ravens had pressed the same play into their Nintendo controller because it looked like Tecmo Super Bowl as Packers went flying all over the screen in one of the worst screen passes I've seen all year. It seems to me, at least, that at this point in the season, a combination of injuries and poor coaching and poor talent evaluation has led to a version of the Green Bay Packers that took the field yesterday that is nearly completely devoid of NFL quality players. And it showed as the Packers were trounced 23 to nothing by a Baltimore Ravens team. That's going absolutely nowhere. Yeah, that was, that was hard to watch. Uh, I can say as, as somebody who's watched a long time and I talk on here a lot about the, you know, desperately going through 29 years without a championship. um, That is one of the worst games I've ever seen them play. (laughs) And, and, you know, what's funny when I was, when we text back and forth and I, I think about those, uh, I think about those uh, uh, plays that they should call. The trouble is that they were calling the the, the screen pass when everybody knows you're going to run a screen, yeah. right? So, so if, if it's second and fourteen, you're going to run a screen or a draw. Well, the Ravens are a super good team. You don't even be yeah. that good to diagnose that, but they're they're running it in a very predictable type of way. So you run a screen on first and ten, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you run it, you run a draw on on second and four, right? Yeah. So so where you or second and two where you're about they think you're going to take a shot downfield because you can get the two yards you need on third down. That's when you run the draw. And so they were running the plays, but they were running them almost like they were right off a script, like you were playing the computer yeah, in Tech yeah. Mobile or in, in Madden, and you could kind of tell what was coming based on the down and distance, and then they did exactly that. So very, very confused. And listen, the Ravens had the 28th-ranked yeah. rushing defense, and you come out with five or six straight play-action passes. How does yeah. that work? Well, it almost did until they found out that their quarterback's abysmal. I, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I got gotcha. you. But in order for play action to work later in the game, you have to actually be able to run yeah. the ball. If you start faking them out, then they stop, you know, then they stop buying into it. Yeah. And then everybody holds the line of scrimmage and, and creates a picket fence on the line of scrimmage. And now you're running back. You can't create gaps and holes for the running back to get to. So yeah. it, it's super confusing. It went entirely against all of the numbers you know yeah. they're second against the pass and they're 28th against the run so our plan is to pass 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 and hope we catch them by surprise yeah How about we just do what the other teams that have played them this year do with a lot of success i don't think they can because i don't think they have any players left that can execute an nfl style offensive game plan mike mccarthy's game plan was left something to be desired. Absolutely sure. sure. I'm agreeing with you. But at this point in this slump that's contained one win over a pretty lousy football team in the Chicago Bears, and you did that by the skin of your teeth, mm-hmm. I think the clear problem is, well, let's start with the obvious. 
it's irrefutable that Brett Hundley's not a very good football player. And the thing that's frustrating here is that he takes forever to decide. When he does decide, he often decides poorly. And when he does decide correctly, he doesn't have the fundamentals and the arm to throw the ball where he wants it to go. It's the trifecta of terribleness. Yeah, you had talked about some of his mechanics. Maybe you can just talk for a second. You were talking to me about uh, his mechanics, his, his footwork, his, his arm motion, his, his drop. Uh, maybe talk about that for a second because I don't know if – I mean – Pretty much everything that can be wrong with a quarterback right now is wrong with Brett Hundley. Well, he never steps up in the pocket. Anytime that he's pressured, he tries to either back up or run to his right. He has no confidence to run left. Right. So that's a pretty easy way to box him in, even if he's a mobile quarterback. He takes forever to decide. And when he actually throws the ball, he's throwing off of his back foot, which you know we've seen two legendary quarterbacks <laughs> that can actually do it. But... Brett Hundley is throwing off his back foot in the pocket when you're supposed to have a solid stance with both feet planted to drive the ball down the field. Right, exactly. Step through it. Exactly. And he's throwing off of his back foot in a like a three-quarter sidearm motion. Everything sails. Nothing goes where it's supposed to go. And that's the big thing I wanted to take away from this game. And, Chris, that can be the maybe the bigger part of our conversation is... I don't know what I'm more concerned about. Is it that Brett Hundley has been in Mike McCarthy's famed quarterback school for three years and his mechanics are still that poor? Or that you've had a personnel department that was either not able to notice how bad he was or saw how bad he was and chose to do nothing anyways, especially with the injury history Aaron Rodgers has had? This is a disaster, and it really changes my opinions on everyone involved. And I felt like, while at times I'd get frustrated and try to throw these guys under the bus, I never thought replacing McCarthy was on the table. I think Thompson maybe could go off into the sunset, but he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I'm looking at all these guys in a brand new light. Well, you know, uh, so a couple of things. Number one, how can you not know what you have in Brett Hundley after three years? Mm-hmm. So, so it's either uh, he can't play – and you've just ignored it. Or he can play, and he just chooses not to do it on, yeah. on game day. And, and if you say, well, games are different. Well, if you can't simulate in three years, yeah. let me make, put this in perspective, in a thousand days, <laughs> if you can't simulate what it's going to be like in a game, what are you doing? And what are you yeah. doing coaching in the NFL? And then the second thing is you start to look at some of these decisions, right? Brent Hudley's one. Um, Kyler Fackerel? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Like, like he's a ghost out there. He doesn't yeah. even, uh, he doesn't even exist out there when the rush comes. Jason Sprakes. Oh my gosh! You might as well put hinges on him because yeah. he's like a swinging gate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, Terrell Suggs made him look totally silly, and, and Terrell Suggs had a really interesting conversation or a comment that it, he made. I, I heard on the way over when I was driving over to the studio here, and uh, <laughs> and and he said, you know, after the second interception. Hunley, it was clear that he just was tentative and didn't want to make another mistake. And we knew that. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we had an extra second to get to him. And so that's how we set everything up. And Terrell Suggs, you know, all he had to do was watch Jason Spriggs in the, in the, uh, in the preseason, gave him a little outside yep. move, came in underneath. And every mistake that Jason Spriggs made in the, in, yep. the, uh, in the preseason, he made on that play. Nothing has changed. You don't see people getting better. That, no. that, you know, and so maybe there's this part of this. Well, we're the Green Bay Packers, and we maybe we just think we're better than we really are. Yeah, and it's rough when you have a draft and develop program that you've kind of stalled in the development aspect of that in recent years with with the draft choices. And what well, if you draft bad players and then you don't develop them? <laughs> then you don't develop. You know, them. this this is kind of what you get. Well, and the thing with Hunley that 
going back to the mechanics is the fact that he they've gone with him as their unquestioned backup quarterback. Now they're kind of stuck, but I at least it's not like a Joey Harrington effect is what I like to call it is that, you know, Hunley's intelligent and yep. he's very yep. smart. But you looked at a guy like Joey Harrington, and I remember when he came out in 2002 thinking that he was really going to be the one to resurrect the Lions. The Lions savior, actually. Absolutely. You heard him talk, and he was a very intelligent guy. He seemed like he was a good leader. Then in practice, you'd see he had a good arm, and he had decent footwork. And so the mechanics were there, and when he fails, you think, well, it's the coach's fault or it's the supporting cast. Joey Harrington's of the world have ruined a lot of coaches and GM careers because it takes four or five years for you to finally go, wow, this guy that looks like a million bucks, there's just something in his makeup that he can't do it. Rick Meyer is a similar kind of guy. Brett Hundley's not that guy. He's smart. He's intelligent. But his mechanics are so bad that how, how does he come back to his second camp with that footwork and everybody doesn't hit the alarm ball? Right, exactly. You know, we, we used to call those players coach killers yeah. because they'd look good in practice. But when, when, when the real bullets started flying, and I, I hate that analogy, yeah. cause it, but, but when the game was really played and people were really coming after you with the intent to do bodily harm to you, they just completely fell apart mentally. Yeah. And so, you know, they could do it in practice um, because they knew that if they made a mistake, the world wasn't going to end or they weren't going to get sacked. But, but they get hit one time and they just completely fall apart. So, uh, but, but your point about his mechanics, like I'm telling you, people who don't know football, take a look at his mechanics, yeah. his footwork, his inability to step up in the pocket. And, and listen, here's what you do with a rookie quarterback. And he's not a rookie, by the way. <laughs> I, I say this, but he's three, you know, three years in the league. He's the same age Matt Flynn was in 2010 when he went toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in Foxborough. Well, that's, that's a great perspective. That tells you everything you need to know. And he was drafted two rounds ahead. But I will also tell you this. When you have a quarterback like that, and you saw it on the first drive, yeah. you, you develop plays that are three-step drops, one, two, three, Read your thing. If not, dump it off to the running back. Right. That's 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 a rookie quarterback's offense. That's what you designed for them. Read one pattern. Drop it off to uh, a running back or whoever the safety valve is. And you saw him in the first. Uh, you know, I've been asking for this for a long time from him. And on the first drive, he's like one, two, three, out. And and all of a sudden, you saw some passes on time. Yeah. Just you just you saw he wasn't Tom Brady by any means, but but it was like it looked like the play was designed to open up in a certain mm-hmm. period of time and it opened up in that period of time and he hit the throws and you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. So <laughs> totally cool. Uh, then he gets down to the end zone when he throws that pick and, uh, and he said, well, I saw Randall Cobb and he was uncovered. They and, totally baited him. And I'm, I'm thinking you're playing the, the Ravens. What are the chances that they just, they, they don't cover yeah. one of your receivers. They just forgot, right? They just, they just, after, after a decade of being an outstanding defensive football team and this particular <laughs> play, they just forgot to yeah. cover somebody. I, I just you, real quick on that play. Um, and, and you can tell me from a coach's perspective. Sure. So to me, that felt like video game football because it was clear from at the snap that Randall Cobb was running a corner and he was uncovered. And they were in man-to-man. Uh-huh. The problem is, when you're a young quarterback, you don't realize that, wow, the guy covering Devontae Adams is not magnetically attracted to him. He can <laughs> right. leave if he wants and help in a space where he sees open an, an opening. And that's what he did. He almost, I think, probably baited him, let him throw it to Cobb, and then crash the route. Yeah, see, this is actually a very, very easy read for a quarterback because that's you're not reading that cornerback at all because on a corner route, the, the inside cornerback can't get to him anyway, right? Yeah. So the inside guy can't cover him. And so if the, if the pick's going to come, it's going to come from the outside defensive back. So if he takes a step back, 
then you throw it to the outside guy who's coming in on the little uh, on the little in or the mm-hmm. little slant route. Mm-hmm. If he breaks his hips uh, and goes with the receivers, then you so you literally just you, you 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 tell the quarterback when you practice it, you say watch the hips of the cornerback. If he backpedals, mm-hmm. you throw it to the slant. If he breaks his hips and goes with the slant, then you throw it up over the top. And, by the way, you throw it deep enough so that you throw it as if it's going to hit the flag. right? Yeah. So high over the top, drop it in the bucket. So, so he did literally none of those <laughs> a things. A shallow jump ball to Randall Cobb, who I respect him, but has never won a jump ball oh. in his entire career. Yeah, and, and so you know, you say rookie mistake, but, but every, you know, just, just think about the, the – I don't know if it's the arrogance or whatever, you know, oh, my gosh, we're the Packers, so they just don't cover our receivers. We got them. <laughs> just, it's the classic trap. I yeah. mean, it's just an absolute classic trap play that you would absolutely do on defense. Worked perfectly for them. Um, but, boy, that you know, that's why you got to run the ball. I, I, I know yeah. we, we went down the field right away on the first drive, but you run the ball so you set that stuff up. Because yeah. imagine now if you out of that formation you ran – uh, you ran off tackle, right? Yeah. So now you can play action out of that, and the cornerback has to sit waiting to see if the ball's handed off. He can't make that pick now. So it yeah. all comes from play action. Um, but even so, don't you feel like at this point, seeing what we've seen from Hunley, they need to do more to help them and do some of the things you said. But even if they were able to get some semblance of a run, which A, is going to be difficult with uh Offensive line in tatters with some guys who can't even play. Right. And your third string running back. Right. And your fourth string running back, by the way, your coach even said in the press conference, I don't trust him. That's why he didn't play as much as I thought. This is almost verbatim yeah, from Mike McCarthy. Yeah, two carries, two fumbles yeah, for that's, Devontae Mays. That's pretty great. And so I'm, I'm to the point where I think they need to do more to help him, but I don't trust Hunley to even make the easy throws. Uh, uh, you know, this is kind of simple, actually. Listen, you, you take Hunley... And you put him in the I formation with Ripkowski in front of uh, in front of Williams. Yeah. And you either hand the ball off to Ripkowski between you know between the guards. Yeah. You hand it off to Williams between the tackles, or you play action. You go out of it. So you've got to make the defense read something. There's a pretty good team on Saturday that runs that offense all the time. Wow. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Are are, are they going to make the playoffs this year? Are they going to make? <laughs> They're two make... wins away from it. Yeah. So I, I, it's very confusing because once again, if you go back 50 years, you, it's almost like having a triple option, yeah. right? You can hand it off to the fullback, you can hand it off to the halfback, or you can throw it. Yeah. Well, what what we showed them was, hey, there's a running back in pistol just to the left or right of the quarterback. So if he's going to hand it off, we know that it's going to be between the tackles, yeah. right? You only have one option, so all we have to do is follow the ball. And if he doesn't get it, then then the the side that he's on, because you have to cross the face of the quarterback to make the block if you're the running back, we just blitz from the side that he's not on. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's not hard. You, know, even, <laughs> you don't even have to blitz because you have a complete sieve at right tackle. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, now now the guy uh, before he got hurt, I'm trying to Justin think. McCray. Yeah, he was playing okay. Yeah, he was all right. Um, uh, more critical eyes than mine um, on Twitter. Some of the, uh, and I'm not talking random fans. I'm talking some of the actual decent sports writers, guys yep. like Bill Michaels and things, were noticing that he wasn't playing all that great. So, so and Jason Spriggs, he looks the part. Um, he's he's just like he's just like Brett Hundley. He he's the right height. He's you know I I, I talk all the time about there's a certain build for yep. players. He looks like your stereotypical prototypical right tackle. And I got to tell you, uh, he couldn't stop me rushing. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, and, and I get why they draft him. He's maybe the Joy Harrington effect of the of the tackle oh, the world, tackles, but right. 
the thing with Hunley, and I understand it, it's really, um, it, it's weird with him because Mike McCarthy's still standing by him, and there are still some fans that are saying, well, what did you expect without Aaron Rodgers? Brett Hundley right now, amongst qualified passers who've, who've thrown at least um, 150 passes in the NFL, yep. the only one worse in the entire NFL is Deshaun Kaiser. Oh, my. Which you being uh, Czar Nicholas, probably I'm glad the Kaiser's struggling, right? <laughs> the Kaiser has fallen. <laughs> yeah, so you're, no, no sympathy there. But So Brett Hundley has a 63 passer rating. He's the second worst qualified quarterback in the NFL. I don't expect him to be Aaron Rodgers. You cannot be the worst quarterback in the conference. For reference, Matt Flynn in 2013, out of 42 passers that threw enough passes to qualify for passer rating, he was 20th. So he was right in the middle. That's all you ask right, for your right, backup right. quarterback. You can't be the worst. Well, just but just remember last time uh, Rodgers went down, right? Seneca Wallace is a backup. Seneca Wallace plays bad. What do they do? They bring in Scott Tolzien. Scott Tolzien plays bad. What do they do? They bring in Matt Flynn. At some point, you know, I, I get committing to your guy. But if your guy is really bad, yeah. the only option you have is to play Joe Callahan. Now, yeah. do I expect him to be a whole lot better? I really don't. <laughs> no. I think he's a. I think he's a product of the uh, of the um, D three preseason yeah. and. Uh, well, but there's a pretty darn good D two quarterback that's, that's kind of lighting up. But this but he's true. also not six five and two hundred and thirty no. pounds. So no. But but the one thing you can't do after four games is roll out Hundley and go, I hope it gets better. You'll lose the team at you, some point. You know exactly what you have. And and if you'd have that, if, if you want Hunley, then you have to put in a game plan that is 75% running. And the rest of it is screens. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm telling you, they're what, uh, if I were the wide receivers, I'd be so frustrated because they were open. Yeah. Now, they're NFL open, yeah. right? They're not open by five yards because that's what we do in the backyard when we're nine years old. Yeah. They're, they're open by 10 yards, you throw it to them. Yeah. Like, they're open by two yards. That is wide open in the NFL and he is just passing them by. And he also it does. He also can't make the throw. Yeah. The, he had the one with Jordy where Jordy beat his guy on a fly route. Yep. And Hunley missed him. So that's what the, the dual frustration is, is that he doesn't see him most of the time. And then most of the time when he does see him, he can't make the throw. Well, he, he might be a bad deep thrower, but at least he's not very good at the short passes either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so one other topic, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to beat on. I think all, all the all the fans saw what went on. Here's my concern: now, the defense played great. The defense yeah. really showed up. So, what do you do about Dom now? <laughs> you can't fire Dom Capers if you lose many more games like you did yesterday. No, and so then you guarantee that you're going to get exactly what you got. And if they can do that now, why weren't they doing it? Three games ago. Well, I think it's because the Ravens. Joe Flacco played like he was four thousand. Well, years there you old go. Yeah, yeah, actually, that's that's really wise. But my fear is, you know, once again, they're going to be excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, you know what? Now all the teams back together, and we'll just, you know, we're getting the band back together. We'll do it just the way we did. I'm super afraid that this is just Rogers' thing as a whole excuse just to redo this whole thing next year. Do you trust the people in power to redo this thing? Why would they? Yeah. See, here's the thing. If they redo it, that means all the decisions they made, they have to admit they were wrong. Yeah. Who's yeah. going to do that? Nobody. I mean, just a human nature kind yeah. of thing. Who's going to do that? That's why I wonder why McCarthy at some point doesn't go to Callahan if this continues, because I think you're going to lose the team a bit. Like, if uh, May, Devontae Mays fumbles the ball, and granted, he doesn't have a lot of uh, history on this team, but he fumbles the ball, and basically his entire 20% that was game-planned mm-hmm. 
is thrown out the window. Right. Where Hundley can go out there for five weeks and just stink up the joint, and there's no repercussions. And at some point, doesn't McCarthy have to maybe go to Callahan? Because then, if you're worried about job security, that deflects it a little bit, saying, at least I'm tinkering with the parts I can well, tinker you're with. You're trying. You're trying. Like you're trying. You're at least trying to do something, because at some point, if he just sticks with Hundley, it's like, well, coach, you proved your loyalty. You've also proven you're a terrible coach. Wow. Uh, and, and so many of the play calls, like, you know, the third and ones and the fourth and ones. Why in the world aren't they just – I'm not talking – I don't want Hundley to be a running quarterback – but how how do you not go read option yeah. with a guy who's been doing it since he was in ninth grade had hundreds thousands of yards in in the college ranks and on third and one and fourth and run I mean when's the last time a read option didn't get a yard It's been a while I, it, it just yeah I mean co- look at college look at pros when's the last time a read option didn't get a yard and he's athletic enough that it's not going to be it's a problem what he's designed it's what he's done <laughs> since he was in junior high yeah. So it's it's like you're you've got the wrong guy in the wrong scheme with the play calls at the wrong time, and you just wonder how can anybody get it that wrong and have their full time job be dedicated to this. Bob McGinn uh, in his game analysis this morning. So I'm not going to share too much of it because it's behind a paywall. So I I feel like that's that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But uh, he had a line in there where he was criticizing everyone, basically just eviscerating everyone on the team. And he had a line in there that said, "If Mike McCarthy truly." was coaching well, he would have handed the ball off every single time and escaped with a 0-0 tie. <laughs> because of how, that's acknowledging, that's the thing that's probably not going to get talked about because, again, we're green and gold forever and we're Packer fans, sure. so we obsess with what our guys need to do to change. The Ravens stink. And they got destroyed by them like they were playing, you know, they were the Citadel playing at, like, a bad ACC team. Right, right, right. It, it's very confusing that, you know, in a game that if, if, when you looked at the schedule and you went, man, if we can beat the Ravens, pro- you know, probably going to lose to uh, probably going to lose to the Falcons or not. Mm-hmm. Fal- I'm sorry, sorry to yep. the uh, to, to the Eagles. But then you've got a bad Tampa Bay coming in. And, and now Aaron Rodgers is back <laughs> yeah. and you go, holy cripes, we could be seven and six with three games to play. And Aaron Rodgers back. We can get to ten and ten and six. Now tell me there's any way in the world we're going to go 5 and 1. Yeah. And who's to say that 10 and 6 is even enough to make it considering yeah. some of the really good teams in the NFC now, but like this is a game that was super winnable on your turf in Lambeau. Um wow. Uh I I you know I think you always look for a silver lining and the, and the silver lining is that you know season's more than halfway over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're 10 games in now and they basically have no margin for error. If they want to get to 10 and 6, they got to win 5 of their last 6 now. Right. Um, that seems a bit daunting with Aaron Rodgers playing a maximum of three of those games. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I hope some people show themselves as as having really great potential. But you know, injuries is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you, if you say it's just injuries, you can go, okay. You know, we've had bad luck. Blah 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 blah. Even though the year we won it all, we had really, really, really bad luck in 2010 with injuries yeah. as well. And who's injured on defense? I know they played well yesterday, and they had a couple of guys leave. Um, one update I did want to give if people didn't see it. Kenny Clark with a high ankle sprain. So that's a great, great news. Yeah, that looked bad. It looked uh, really bad. And apparently the Ravens were accused of cheap-shotting him and pushing him over the pile. The guy claims he was holding him up from pushed over the pile. Um, I guess I'll believe him because he's a younger player, but it's interesting how the Packers never get into shoving matches and the Ravens come to town and it happens repeatedly. I wonder what the new variable is. I there. don't know. You'd have to really take a look at it. It's probably a math problem you have to tear apart. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but regardless, I think that's the stuff you reach for 
when you're embarrassed. Yeah. You know, to try and take the attention off the face. They cheated just, or they're yeah. they, You know, I, I, uh, Morgan Burnett said, that's not fair. Well, you know, that it, <laughs> that's what I said in seventh grade, you know. Yeah. When, when, when you're the playing bigger, the eighth graders and right, can't do anything. That's just not fair. Well, and, and that's the thing with the defense. Again, they played yesterday, but people are using the injuries. Who was injured on defense? That matters the uh, last few weeks. Um, yeah. Uh, so King, right? Yeah. King. That's one guy. Everybody's losing one guy. Right. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and on offense, I know it's a different story, but that, that's the thing that's so frustrating is that you want to see somebody step up. If you're a championship-level team, you've got to believe you're more than one guy. Again, going back to Matt Flynn, if you, I'm not talking about the Patriots. Everybody wants to bring them up. When Brady's gone, they win all the time. Mm. The Patriots are different. But you can't use the reverse and pick out the Colts and say, well, they lost Peyton Manning and went 2-14. and 14. I think if you're a championship-level team, you should try it. You, you should be able to win. If you're missing Aaron Rodgers for 10, you should be able to win 4-6 to six of those games. If you're a championship program, if you're able to evaluate talent and get a quarterback in there, because this, this might be a shock to people in Green Bay, most teams don't have Aaron Rodgers on their team. What? And there are a bunch of teams that make the playoffs every year that don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback on their team. Uh, our, our, you know, our listeners should know that the sarcasm is no extra charge. It actually comes <laughs> with the uh, with the fee for the program. Um, l- listen, the last thing I want to talk about is the thing that bothered me is that halftime is the time to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the Packers make really good adjustments. But I can't tell you. I, don't, I didn't see the, di- the offense being different in the first half and the second half. And at some point you say – Brett Hundley cannot lead us to victory. Yeah, it's we've got to start trap blocking. We've got to do we've got to we got to do wide receiver screens. And by the way, when you're eight in the box, wide receiver screens are the yeah. right thing to do. Bubble screens, jet sweeps, all that stuff is the right thing to do. And you have a lot of money out on the perimeter there that should be able to carry that load. I wonder what we're going to do with the twenty million dollars after we let go of Clay and uh, and um, Randall Cobb. Randall perhaps. Cobb next year. I don't know. Well, some of it should go to Devontae Adams because the shining bright spot of the Green Bay Packers in the last five games has been Devontae Adams. He's earned himself a lot of money because it's clear he's the real deal. Right. They have two passing touchdowns since Aaron Rodgers got injured. Devontae Adams caught both of them. He currently has 335 yards since Aaron Rodgers' injury. Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb have 329 combined. Holy cow. He's got six more yards by himself than Nelson and Cobb and their $20 million of contracts have combined. Well, more importantly, uh, as importantly, uh, uh, when's the last time you saw him drop a pass? Yeah. And number two, he's really winning 50-50 balls. I mean, he's, oh, yeah. he's overpowering people. You know, he caught that one sideline uh, one against the Bears with one hand because <laughs> yeah. the guy had him pinned. And, like, this is the receiver you thought you had yep. in the year that we all wanted to give up on him. And I tell you, I was ragging him out like everybody yeah. else. And, and Ours is on tape. You can hear us drill the guy for two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this guy is um, – you got to – maybe that's where the $10 million from going to go. <laughs> well, and he seems to have been stepping up because Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb are still getting Aaron Rodgers open. And Devontae Adams is getting Brett Hundley open. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. You need an extra step or two. Yeah, that's awesome. Well done. Um, but so, I, I think he's, you know, I think he's something to build around. 
Um, you know, uh, Jordy is listen. Jordy's still a fine player. He's a fine slot receiver, but he's 31 years old. Uh, Randall Cobb, you got to do something. You can't pay him 10 million dollars a year. So, what, what you've got to do is you've got to believe it or not. Believe it or not, you've got to reload at wide receiver because Janice isn't your answer. Geronimo mm-hmm. um, Allison is a fine possession receiver. Has he even played since Rogers got hurt? I, I think him and Marty Bennett might be hanging out in New England. It's possible. And then um, 11 is uh, uh, Austin I even, Davis. Yeah. You know, I, so, so you have the fastest guy on the team who never plays wide receiver, and then you wonder why you can't stretch the field. It's yeah. super confusing. Well, and what does that say perhaps about him and another one of these draft and develop guys? If he's a year and a half in now and you don't trust him to play offense, that's yeah. scary. So think about this. If you think about draft and develop, other than Aaron Rodgers, who is the one player on the Packers you would take over every other person at the position of every other team in the NFL? <laughs> I don't think there's one. Mason Crosby, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so doesn't that tell you everything yeah. you need to know? Like every every team should have two players, maybe that. Well, the math would say about two players yeah. that are really, you know, they're in the. Let's not even say the best. Let's say in the top three. Which which Packer players are in the top three of their position in the league? I. Yeah, I don't think Bakhtiari, there's anybody. maybe? Bakhtiari might be a safe bet, even though he's played iffy recently. Yeah. But but I would say, I would argue for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Crosby. I, I wouldn't even put Mike Daniels in that anymore. It's pretty lean after that, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's very lean. Yeah, so so that that speaks to drafting, right? So it's draft and develop. And if you if you it doesn't matter how much you develop, and I'm concerned about our ability to develop now. Yeah. But if you draft the wrong guy, you know, my my son Ben and I were talking and and I told him, I said, and I'm not I'm not I don't think I'm kidding. I say every in this cup terminal draft, what I want them to do is every time they're up, draft the best Alabama player available. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, because Alabama is a pro football team. So yeah, yeah. why not just take the best who, at whatever position you need the most? And uh, you, how far wrong could you go? But we've, we've really made some mistakes. We've really had some big misses. Yeah, well, stop taking UCLA players for one. I think I'm a little tired of that. But um, a lot of Pac-10 players that they've – or Pac-12. A lot of Pac- – well, gosh, look at their first-round picks. you got King mm-hmm. and you've got – Randall and Perry and <laughs> Daton Jones, those are all Pac-12 guys. And not only that, but, I mean, what what group, what, what league is is known for being big, strong, and fast? It's the SEC. Yeah. So, I mean, at some point, right, right, you know, we want smart players. Well, okay, well, smart players so far, five and five, and, yeah. <laughs> and one and four in the last. How about bigger and stronger yeah. uh, players that that are that have proven themselves over and over again? So I, I don't know. I, I like listen. I, I hate coming across as negative, but I can't imagine pointing out a whole lot of silver linings here. I think I think a lot of Packer fans feel exactly the same we do, and they're looking for well, if you just fix this and just fix that. I, I think we're past that. Yeah, I, I think we're at a point where we're just like. Um, you're almost at reload, and you've got you know Ben and I again. We're talking mm-hmm. you, maybe maybe four years with Rogers. I mean, I think he wants to play till he's forty five yeah. or whatever. I, stop it! You know he, he has thirteen pins in his right collarbone. He's broken his left collarbone. He's torn his calf. These are all la- in the last five years. I think he feels sensitive that people are always going after his toughness. There's no denying how tough he is. Right, tough and injured are different. Yes, nobody can out tough injuries they can out tough being hurt and he's been uh he's had a lot of injuries recently if they're in the top 10 i don't know who but and have to see how it shakes out but with the talent that's coming out this year i'm picking a quarterback 
I don't care who. I'm picking a quarterback. And believe it or not, that's a need pick. With how Hunley played this year and with Aaron Rodgers missing at least half of two of the last five seasons, you need a legitimately good or competent backup quarterback that can win half the games that Aaron's not going to play. And him going to be 35 in the middle of next season? Right, you're actually choosing an heir apparent now. Like, like that wasn't the case with Hundley. He was a he was a value pick in the yeah. fifth round. We thought we were getting more than he was really valued for. It's time to start talking about the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers, which sounds hard to believe and yeah. almost heresy, but... Listen, you know, again, other than Tom Brady, name the, the really outstanding quarterbacks over 35, and the yeah. list gets very short very quickly. And and they fall off really fast. And especially if you're playing against an offensive line like this. That, that's <laughs> not, that's, it's not going to get easier to stay healthy, that's for sure. And I don't mean that to start the clock on trying to push Aaron out. I'm saying that with you absolutely have to start finding the heir apparent, especially if you get one of these guys early on. I mean, if it's not going to happen. But if a guy like Sam Darnold fell to seven, you have to pick him. Sure, sure. He looks like Andrew Luck. Well, he's not going to play for three years anyway, and that's about how long it... I but mean, he might. That's what I'm getting at. With Aaron Rodgers' recent injury history, you need a good blue-chip backup quarterback to rescue a potential last championship season for Aaron Rodgers. You can't have him miss a month and lose all four games. Well, I, I, think, I, I think what I was trying to say is Aaron Rodgers sat behind behind Favre and learned for three years. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so that's the planned that's way the of plan. doing it. Absolutely. And if the plan goes all to, you know, smithereens and Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, you're right. You have to have somebody step in because uh, you just, I mean, we, and, and that's the thing is we have it twice now. Yeah. You know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And twice now Aaron Rodgers goes down and we go one and, yeah. you know, infinity. And Matt Flynn's not out there to rescue you and, and that's a – Man, I I want to buy his jersey. Matt <laughs> Flynn is like he's one of the most interesting players in the history of the Packers, and for him to have tied franchise records in passing yards and touchdown Touchdowns passes right in the game. and comebacks in his limited time, and really it, it didn't end up going anywhere. They ended up losing the first playoff game, but for him to rescue that abysmal season and. That comeback against the Cowboys is one of my favorite games in the history of the Packers. I love Matt Flynn. I I mean, I appreciate Aaron Rodgers more than ever the last month, and I think that his argument for being the best quarterback of all time got its biggest boost ever this season with him starting 4-1 and with this ragtag bunch and how they performed without him. But it's also raised my appreciation of Matt Flynn through the roof just to have a guy that could be a seventh-round pick and – win half of the games he ever started. Right, just through sheer perseverance and practice. And, um, you know, so so I'm, I'm not really kidding here. Why don't you bring Matt Flynn in and have him coach yeah. Hunley? Uh, you know, because Aaron Rodgers clearly isn't getting through to him. And, and Aaron Rodgers does so much instinctively, yeah. you can't teach that. Yeah. But, but clearly somebody's not teaching him footwork, and clearly somebody's not teaching him – poise in the pocket or stepping up in the pocket, you know, and Edgar Bennett, I I really like Edgar. I really do. And, and even Alex Van Pelt and stuff, clearly somebody's not getting through to him. So actually he's getting through to him perfectly because Brett Hundley's playing about as well as Alex Van Pelt ever did. (laughs) I don't want to start the Alex Van Pelt bashing. (laughs) Anybody who can become the quarterback's coach for the Packers has my, (laughs) you know, my unlimited uh, envy. I would love to see Flynn in there as the coach. He's like, well, here's the part, Brett, where, where you just you throw it to Jordy. He's like, why? Well, he's covered. Well, you know, you just got a feeling <laughs> that it's going to work out. <laughs> well, uh, so, so you know, uh, we have a tough stretch coming up. Yeah. And, uh, listen, if you don't win 
if you don't win three out of the next four, uh, or, or at the very least, two out of the next three. I mean, you've got to yeah. win two out of the next three. If you win two out of the next three, you're seven and six, and you still can get to ten and six. Yeah. And even Mike McCarthy said, listen, until you get to ten wins, everything else is white noise. That's one yeah. of his famous quotes. So yeah. here we are. Um, and, and so uh, what I would look for and what I would really hope for as a Packer fan is, listen, if you can't pass block, run blocking is actually much easier. Yep. And so you put in a game plan that is completely anti-Packer. You put it in that 70% running and 30% passing, and the passing is all based on dump-offs to the running backs, wide receiver screens, and throws over the middle of the tight end. And, and, and you know, you win games 10-7. to 7. Yeah, or so. at least attempt to. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. All right, here's a question for you, Chris. You got $100. You have to bet it on Sunday's game. The line opened with the Steelers as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Also, the over-under is 41-and-a-half, which if the Steeler offense performs the way it has in the last two regular season games against the Packers, um, they might get that on their own. Yeah, right. So at what level would you have to – or where would the line have to be for you to not bet on the Steelers to cover with your hypothetical $100? Wow. So I I think Vegas is really smart, and I think the line is always really close. Um, I think if I got 17 points, I would go with the Packers. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, red hot Steelers team in Pittsburgh, uh, an embarrassing showing by the Packers. Um, the, you know, the defense was okay against bad teams. And now you're coming up against a really high octane Mm -hmm. Pittsburgh Steeler team who still has a defense that, that you can hang your hat on. Wow. I mean, if they score 10 points against this team, yeah. I would be shocked, <laughs> and um, you know, to say that the, they're going to put up twenty-four or thirty is probably yeah, yeah. So my guess, I, I'd say seventeen. I, I was going to push it up and say, um, I would take twenty and a half. I think um, maybe bet on the Packers not getting beat by three touchdowns, <laughs> but or I guess I would be betting on them getting beat by three touchdowns if it got to twenty-one and a half. I don't know if I could could go that hard uh go that high um we had some discussion on twitter that you know the steelers tend to play down to their competition at times but this is also a primetime game and we might feel down in the dumps because things aren't going as we uh planned this year but that g on that helmet still is taken very seriously around the nfl yeah, absolutely for you have sure. you have a super bowl winning coach the steelers are going to be at their best and if they're at their best against this packer team I'm looking at like a 42 to 10 kind of game. You know, uh, and remember, they, they can kind of play it off as the Packers beat, you know, the Steelers in that Super Bowl, yep. and there's payback on their minds. And I know it's, you know, years ago. Yeah. Um, but but I, listen, you've got to change the game plan altogether. You've got to slow this thing down. You've got to fight and claw for first downs. You've got to keep, you know, you have to do what other teams have done to the Packers for years. You need to keep the, their offense on the bench. Mm-hmm. And just by hook or by crook at first downs, and um, you know I, I think the Packers will step up. It's a really humiliating loss against yeah. the Ravens. Uh, teams have a tendency to bounce back, and so you know there's also part of me that thinks that that they'll you know they'll lose twenty four to thirteen simply because the Packers give a great effort, and the Steelers you know they don't decide to turn it on until the fourth <laughs> you know third quarter, and then. You know, they just kind of leave them in the dust. Yeah, uh, hopefully. Uh, how out of a sad state of affairs is it that our hope is that the Steelers don't take us seriously? A team that beat them in the su- – the quarterback that's going to start for the Steelers and their head coach and their best wide receiver were on a team that the Packers beat in the Super Bowl. And our hope is that 
they somehow don't take wow, us seriously. Wow, that's real. That's incredible. That's you're exactly right with that analysis. So oh. we'll see. I'm not getting my hopes up. All right, let's go to Facebook where we got some comments from uh, two of our best fans. Uh, first, Daniel Johnson. That game was bad. That's maybe the understatement of the year. <laughs> I watched it while doing work last night when they aired it on the American Armed Forces Network. Hunley's passes just looked terrible. Nothing really got going offensively. The Ravens' offense is so bad, it made our defense look decent. And then he's got a question that I'll get to after we get to Corey's comment. Um, Corey Ben, oh man, how about that arm punt by Hunley on the second possession? That was one of those throws where I saw how it left his hand and immediately knew if that ball doesn't make it out of bounds, it's picked. <laughs> uh, sure enough, it lands about eight yards short of the intended receiver and was promptly going the other way. Yikes. That was one of those plays where my inner Packer fan was inconsolably livid, but my inner football lover slash analyst was saying, drink this in. You probably won't see anything that exquisitely awful again for a long time. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, it's pretty clear to me that at this point that the idea that Mike McCarthy is some sort of quarterback guru or deserves any credit for the development of Aaron Rodgers is highly tenuous at best and becomes even more so with each Hunley interception. Speaking of Rodgers, the worst thing about yesterday's game is knowing that if he wasn't injured, we probably would have beaten the Ravens by about 40 points. Uh, that's very true. I've heard that some people want the NFL to flex the Packers-Steelers game out of the Sunday night slot. Since my work schedule forces me to sleep through the primetime games, I, for one, hope it stays there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, so um, this whole idea of – and I had bought in f- fully uh, to the Mike McCarthy quarterback school. And, and listen, maybe he's a very good quarterback coach, but, but again, just somebody explained to me how can you not know after three and a half years what you've got? Yeah. You know, what, when you're married for three and a half years, male or female, you know what you got, right? <laughs> you know, he leaves, the, he leaves the seat up. She squeezes the toothpaste from the middle. <laughs> like, you kind of know what you got. And so the, the, the fact that when, the, when things get tough and he gets under pressure, wow, you know, not only doesn't he step up in the pocket, yeah. he starts going backwards. His sacks are 20-yard sacks. Yeah. They're like 1975-style sacks. Right, exactly. So, And he's very athletic. So, so you know, and then when he should run, yeah. right, when he should run and pick up seven yards and slides down, he throws it out of bounds. <laughs> so so that looks like a scared quarterback. To yeah. me. That, that's a really harsh thing to say for any coach, but that looks like a scared quarterback. Scared to get hit. And scared to throw an interception. You brought up that marriage analogy. Somewhere tonight, Mike McCarthy's meeting with his close friends, having a beer. It's like I just thought, I just thought I could get him to stop throwing off his back foot. <laughs> right. I, I just believed I could do I it. I can change him. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go to some more fun classic talk because uh, people have been receiving that pretty well. And quite frankly, it's much more fun than talking about what's become of the 2017 Packers. Right. Uh, Daniel Johnson had a quick one that I want to get to, and he said, I would like to get your guys' take on the 1987 NFL players' strike. What were your thoughts on the strike? Did it benefit anything? Thoughts on replacement players? And then Jerry Rice and Reggie White having great seasons despite only playing 12 games. So just for some backstory, if people aren't familiar with that, the NFL Players Association went on strike after two weeks in the 1987 season. They had done the same in 1982, and seven games were wiped out of the schedule, and they didn't play at all. Uh, there were, were no NFL games. The replacement player, or the, I'm sorry, the NFL Players Association attempted to do two All Star games that were bombs, and then they kind of felt that perhaps the public was not in their favor, and they returned and they played a nine game season that led to the Super Bowl tournament with 16 teams, and it's the only only chance the Packers had to make the playoffs mm-hmm. between right. 72 and 93. Uh, in 1987, 
the owners had said that if the players were going to do that, they were going to replace them with replacement players and uh, field NFL teams with NFL helmets and NFL uniforms, and they were going to attempt to salvage something of the season in an effort to put more pressure on the players. So I plan, as you can tell, I've been researching this a lot. I, I plan to do a full episode on this someday. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know when that day is going to be, so I don't want to hold everything back to that. But, Chris, you having experienced it firsthand, I was a good, let's see, I was four months old when the 1987 (laughs) season began. What were your personal thoughts um, having been an adult at the time? Well, you have to remember that this is before the explosion of free agency, which is really in the early 90s. Um, And so so in 1987, you know, football is really – it's really popular, but it's not the amazing big money thing that it was. And and uh, you know, to give you a point of reference, ESPN is only about five years old at yeah. this point. And after the strike, ESPN would air its first game, so they weren't even showing NFL games. Right, yet. exactly. So so you didn't really have that much knowledge around it. All what football was at that time, there was no NFL network, and you didn't get news pumped to you constantly, and there was no internet, so you didn't get it. So all you heard was. You know, the players say it's unfair. The owners say that the players are, you know, overpaid. Uh, they didn't say overpaid babies, but yeah. they might as well have said it. And and uh, it, disappointment first, right? Like, you know, if you're making, in 1987, if you're making $30,000 a year, you're doing okay. Yeah. And then these players are making 10 times that, and and it's really hard to, um, you know, be compassionate for them. But but it didn't have the attention. Like, like right, if it happened today, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, you know, CNN would cover it and Fox would cover it and, and you know, it would be the biggest thing. And it was really more of a peculiarity. Mm-hmm. It was, well, that's inconvenient. And, and then, but then when the replacement players came, you cheered just as hard. It was very odd. Yeah. And what, what you realize is you don't cheer, cheer for the players at all. You cheer, yeah. you cheer for the uniform. And you change cheer for the um, – you, you cheer for – um, the city and the town mm-hmm. and the history and the tradition. And so there wasn't a lot of feeling at that time in 1987 that the players were um, being unreasonable Yeah, because there wasn't this whole – all the power was with the owners. There, there was really a much more balance of power is, is um, you know, labor has some power, ownership has some power. You know, they, they tried to work it out. They couldn't work it out. They'll have a strike. But but in that in that – time period mm-hmm. you know like mills they went on strike yeah and then they figured it out and and there were scab workers who could come <laughs> yeah. into that timber factory or that paper mill or whatever and then they'd figure it out so so for us it was it was not this it, it's not like it would be now it was kind of a normal part of society that mm-hmm. that the union or the, the the workers uh would actually have power enough to bang heads with the owners yep and there was an equal share of power and they had just come to loggerheads, and it was kind of okay because, like, that's yeah, balance, yeah, and, yeah. and balance is a good thing in general terms. In the in a free market society, yeah, yeah. balance is a good thing. Anyone having too much power on either side kind of skews things. Would your perspective have been the same if the Packers didn't stink? Well, like, not not exactly the same. I, I understand from a you know th- that's getting a little bit into the politics of it, you know, and 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 how economies work and things like that. But in terms of how much would it have bothered you if you were losing three union games from a team that you expected to contend for the Super Bowl rather than the team you were hoping would go 5-11. Well, that's a really good point. Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, <laughs> back then, having seven less games was kind of like, well, 
you know, um, I don't know how they're going to count in the standings, but we probably have <laughs> yeah. a better chance of winning them with replacement players against other replacement players than our full-time regular players would if we played the regular season. So I, I want to get into that point because that's what I wanted to add. Obviously, I have no first-hand um, accounts sure, of, the, of the uh, strike, but in researching this for a, a future episode, the Packers were one of the more savvy teams, which you don't get to say about the 80s Packers very often. <laughs> right. They anticipated that the strike was coming. They took the union saber-rattling seriously, and so they had been scouting potential replacement players. Okay. To the point where teams like, I believe Pittsburgh, they mentioned as an example, had nothing on replacement players. They didn't expect it to happen, or if it did happen, they didn't expect they'd actually have to play games. Mm-hmm. The Packers took it seriously. They had a roster of guys they wanted to target, and you could sign them freely. And so once the strike happened, the Packers very quickly assembled a replacement team, and it was one of the better ones, to the point where other teams, good teams' executives, were complaining about the Packers, saying they're try- they don't have a good team, and they're trying to game a playoff berth <laughs> right. by, by spending all of their time on replacement teams. And then they thought that you know maybe that leads to some not-so-great-faith negotiating if your replacement team has a better chance to go to the playoffs than your union right. team. <laughs> And what happened is the Packers ended up being one of the more exciting replacement teams. They won two of the three replacement games. The one they lost went to overtime. And um, you had this reaction in the papers where everyone was very appreciative of the replacement team. And almost a unspoken but implied thought that, gosh, we might have a better chance if this thing would just continue because our regular guys don't have a chance, right? And and, and there was there's a you know all the stories that came out the love of the game stories that came out of that that you know people who had played in the past and were coming back or players that weren't drafted now they get their opportunity. There were so many heartwarming stories that came out of it mm-hmm. that that they were the center of the universe for about three weeks. Yep. And those people who you know got cut and and if the strike hadn't happened would have just gone into the annals of history and you know the dustbin of history as they say there were i remember on cbs sports uh irv cross maybe even yep. i mean uh so so there were all these player profiles mm-hmm. so many more than the regular ones because people had left it's it's like kurt warner they yep, had left yep. bagging groceries yep. to come play football and and you know the dream that had died for a year after playing at nebraska is now alive and i don't care if it's one game or if it's the rest of the season i get to live out my nfl fantasy so so that the i will say that the, the networks did a great job yeah. of not saying taking sides but saying yeah. hey let's let's go to the human interest side yeah. of this uh, and some of the stories were pretty fantastic. Because that's the interesting part is you trying to say uh, they're trying to find where they stand as the networks. At first, they weren't sure they were going to televise the replacement mm-hmm. games. Then there was some money aspect. A lot of things came up. But then what happened is, like you said, they showed the human interest stories. But they wouldn't show half times of games you weren't wa- or um, uh, highlights during halftime of games you weren't watching. They. Wow, they I, would talk I didn't to, remember that. Okay. Yeah, it, it, I, I have a, a couple of those on. Of course I do. I have a couple of those. <laughs> and it's very interesting to see them try to play that line, whereas it felt the the newspaper, the print media, uh-huh. were were even more sympathetic to the replacement players. They, they really, I think both the print media and television media really keyed in on, well, these are the only innocents in here. You might think that the players are greedy and the owners are equally as greedy. These guys did nothing wrong. Yeah, They're trying to right, live the dream. Right, exactly. Um, a couple other quirks that I want to bring up about this before we uh, put it to bed is that um, the main reason that it failed was there was some – they wanted free agency, but they really had no 
definition of what right, free agency what was. was. And guys almost immediately started crossing the picket line. And I'm talking like Randy White crossed the picket line for the Cowboys. Nobody was going to tell him to come right, back exactly over right. here. <laughs> um, and so some of those guys started crossing the picket line. But the third week of, uh, of the replacement games... Um, if you go look these up on Pro Football Reference or something, it's one of the craziest weeks ever because many guys had crossed the picket line by that point. And you have some really quirky things like Steve Largent crosses the picket line. Um, I forget what team they're playing, but the the team, I think Detroit, and they're playing against a team that is almost completely replacement players. Yeah. And Steve Largent has the best game of his career. He has 261 receiving yards oh and three God. touchdown receptions. <laughs> Just destroys these guys. But then in San Francisco, Joe Montana plays. Several other of their starters play, and they're playing a St. Louis Cardinals team that has almost no uh, guys who cross the picket line. Uh Joe Montana needs a comeback to beat Sammy Garcia and the St. Louis Cardinals at Candlestick 34-28, to I believe. Holy cow. And then the very last replacement game on, if you're a history buff, on Black Monday, the day the stock market crashed... That's right. Oh, my gosh. That was right the same time. Absolutely. It was the same day. So the Monday Night Football game for – I'm kind of a television history nerd too. So the Monday Night Football game was wedged in between special reports with Peter Jennings and Ted Koppel about the economy falling apart. Right. So they had already decided that the next week they were going to be playing – a Redskins team with nobody across the picket line, they're 100% replacement players, beats a Cowboys team in Texas Stadium that is almost all the regular normal Cowboys, including Danny White and Tony Dorsett. Uh, so it's it's just a weird week, and nobody ever talks about it. Maybe they they've done a, a one of those timelines on it on NFL Network. But if you get into the guts of that, it's what's well, thirty years ago this year. It is, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, about thirty years ago last month. So I'm working on that. I'm hopeful to go more in depth into the day by day stuff with the Packers uh, someday. But uh, it's one of the weirdest seasons, and unfortunately, it sounds like we might have something pretty similar to it in a couple years. It's it's unbelievable to me that that when you're throwing around a billion you know billion dollars here and a billion dollars there and pretty soon you're talking about a lot of money you know uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing that you can't split up a billion dollars uh, with a bunch of people but you know my, my brother my oldest brother uh, Tony has a really great saying that if you want to know why anything happens the answer is probably money and if you want to <laughs> know why things don't happen the answer is probably money <laughs> yeah that's definitely the case here <laughs> and uh, yeah Reggie White had 21 sacks in 12 games Jerry Rice had 22 touchdown catches in in 12 games and um, just more evidence of how great those two Jerry Rice against Joe the Grocer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think he crossed the picket line, though, so those are 22 legit touchdowns. Um, Let's go real quick to a segment we want to do that we've been promising for a while, and that is What If. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? 
So that signifies the beginning of What If, and this is a What If topic that was sent to us back in August that we've teased a bunch, but uh, thank you, David uh, Fiorillo, for uh, submitting this and for your patience. He writes, what would have happened if Sterling Sharp never got hurt during the 1994 season? So I would think most of the people that are listening to Green and Gold Forever know what happened to Sterling Sharp, but uh, what happened is uh, Sterling Sharp injured his neck uh, after a helmet-to-helmet collision in the game against the Falcons in Week 16 of the 19. 1994 season. He had some momentary numbness on the field. Uh, he was able to recover. They had done some tests and they determined that he could play the following week in week 17. And he played spectacularly. This was a game the Packers needed. They were eight and seven at the time. Um, they needed to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Christmas Eve, uh, 94 down in Tampa. He caught three touchdown passes and in the process broke Don Hudson's 52 year old record for most touchdown catches in a year with 18 um, but late in the uh, fourth quarter, he got hit again, kind of lunging for, for more yardage, and uh, a, a defender kind of crossed right across his uh, head and kind of moved his neck weird, and he fell, lost control of both arms on the field, uh, had some momentary paralysis. And then on Tuesday of the following week, he was diagnosed with having looseness in his vertebrae and would be out for the remainder of the 1994 season. Um, after that had happened, um, there was a contract dispute between the Packers and the and uh, Sterling Sharp and his agent. So what really happened after that point is that uh, Sterling Sharp agreed to have a neck and spinal fusion surgery. They thought that would lower his risk of being paralyzed in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Had no idea what that would mean to his football career. They speculated, uh, basically confirmed immediately that he would be out for all of 1995, likely 1996 and then potentially could come back. The Packers offered to pay Sterling Sharp $200,000 a year while he was trying to rehab, and if he was ever able to return, they had a handshake agreement that they would renegotiate his contract to be one of the fifth largest for wide receivers in the NFL. Okay. Sharp's agent wanted more guaranteed money than $200,000 a year, so the Packers on... uh, March 1st, 1995, right before Sterling Sharp's $1.2 million roster bonus, which in 1995 was a lot lot of money. money. Um, They cut Sterling Sharp on March 1st, 1995, and from as far as I could tell, there were really no serious suitors for Sterling Sharp after that, Um, so there was really no threat of him trying to make a comeback with someone else. So that's the real backstory. Um, Chris, I guess I'll go first because I have kind of a, a caveat to this that influences what I think would happen. Yeah, please go right ahead. So Sterling Sharp, there's two questions. What happens to the 94 Packers? And then um, how does Sterling Sharp's career play out? So the first thing I would say is that the 1994 Packers were probably going to uh, finish about how they did uh, People kind of forget how ridiculously good the Dallas Cowboys were. And so they would have had, they beat Detroit in real life. They would have had to play Dallas. Had they beaten Dallas, they would have had to go to San Francisco to play quietly one of the best teams in history. The the 49ers with Deion Sanders and Steve Young at the height of his ability. And that was the weird era of free agency where teams didn't really quite understand the salary cap. 
go look at the 94 49ers defense and it's like the 80s all-star team they got Ricky Jackson they got Charles Mann they got Tim Harris they have it, it's ridiculous who they all have on the was team was Ken Norton on that team Ken Norton was Ken on Norton, that team yeah uh, cuz Ken, Ken Norton Jr played uh, later you know uh, yep he he had just come from Dallas the year before yeah, right. and they had Deion Sanders i mean and by happenstance, they had drafted Bryant Young and Dana Stubblefield. I mean, that is a re- it's an all-star right, team. Right. The '94 Packers with three Sterling Sharps were not going to beat that team. So there's not much there. And I think here's maybe my radical opinion that if Sterling Sharp hadn't been injured, he probably would not have been in Green Bay more than a year or two longer. And here's why. Days before the 1994 season, Sterling Sharp informed the team that he was willing to hold out for the entire 94 season, if they didn't renegotiate his contract. Perhaps you remember this. I do. Um, in 1991, he signed a 10-year deal worth $1.5 million with a handshake agreement that he could get it renegotiated along the way, provided he met some um, statistical criteria that would keep him around Jerry Rice money, is what he was really worried about. And to Sharp's credit, 92 and 93 is one of the best stretches in the history of the NFL. He he wins the triple crown receiving, which is most touchdowns, receptions, and um, receiving yards. Only Steve Smith has done it since. And uh, Jerry Rice is the only other guy to do it since the merger. So it's Sterling Sharp, incredible. Yep. Steve Smith, and Jerry Rice are the only guys to do it in the last 52 years. So that's pretty impressive. And so he wanted to renegotiate his contract. And the media almost made it sound like they thought he was underpaid, but the way he did it and the fact that he hadn't been talking to the media uh-huh. in years, um, people were really iffy on Sterling Sharp. And so I think that Brett Favre emerges in 94, which I, I'm not saying I think that. He did. He, he became, at about the midway point of 1994 until 1998, Brett Favre was an unstoppable quarterback. Right. I think ev- nature. Ev- absolutely. You couldn't yep. beat him. And I think they look at that. And they hedge their bets with Brett. They don't want this cancer in the locker room when everybody else is being the team player. I think it's possible at as soon as 1995 that the Packers release Sterling Sharp and he's elsewhere. Yeah, so so a couple of thoughts here. Uh, we've talked about this in the past, but anytime a player holds out in Green Bay, uh, I mean, Green Bay and Wisconsin as a whole is a is a pretty conservative place. Yeah. And I think a lot of Wisconsinites are like, okay, you play for the Packers, we love you. But you're pretty lucky to have that gig. And, yeah. and for somebody to complain about their situation, um, you know, if you're in San Francisco and you're saying I'm only making a million and a half dollars a year, people listen to you. Yeah. But again, if you're, you know, if you're working in a paper mill and you're making $37,000 a year and somebody says I'm only making 50 times what you are to play a game, uh, you don't you don't get that kind of reaction in no. Wisconsin. You don't get a positive support for them. So I remember there was this feeling like, and and Sterling Shepard, you have to remember, was not the warmest guy in the no, world. No, not at all. Uh, you know, we think of Jordy Nelson and and Donald Driver, and those guys were, you know, they have softball games and they they're meeting with the fans. Sterling Sharp was a little bit big for his britches. I mean, yeah. he didn't really do a lot of interviews he did not interact with the fans very often or very well he didn't really do events there was kind of like this feeling that sterling sharp was doing us a favor by by playing here yeah and when that happened that that was kind of like uh, okay that's that's not okay yes we're really glad you're happy um but but in wisconsin in my opinion at least even more than winning yeah the packers are, are about honor and they're about loyalty yeah and they're about winning the right way now that that clearly didn't lead to a lot of championships in 29 yeah. years between the between the championships. But at this point, now they're on the rise, and it's clear. And so now this guy wants the 
the selfish attitude and he's trying to do this in an environment where everybody else is bought in and it's clear they have a shot. Well, and not only that, uh, you have to make Favre the unquestioned leader yeah. and you cannot have two leaders on the offense. You yeah. can have a leader on the defense, mm-hmm. you can have a leader on the offense, um, but you cannot have two uh, alpha dogs yeah. on offense. Yeah. And, and, and it was clear that their money was going to be bet on Favre. Sterling Sharp was not old by any means, but he was certainly no. outspoken enough yep. and kind of surly enough. And, and the other thing I'll tell you about this is, you know, his idea of coming back after a fusion, I don't know if you even know this, but I have two spinal fusions, I do fusions, know that, yep. Right? I, one in my yep. neck and one in my lower back. The idea of, listen, I don't go ice skating <laughs> <laughs> for fear of falling with my back fusions. Now, I'm a little older than, than Sterling Sharp was, but but these fusions are 10 and 12 years old. I can't imagine trying to play uh, with those kind of things. So the Packers, yeah. to even make that offer that we're going to, take a risk that in two years you can play is pretty fair ball on the Packers part. That's pretty, that's, that's a lot of loyalty Mm -hmm. there. And so I I, I don't know. I just, I think it was a changing of the guard. I think it was a changing of the guard. It was going to happen anyway. And then, and if you really think about, um, so Sterling Sharp was almost a, the size of a, I don't know, not quite the size of a tight end. He wasn't like his brother. Uh, but he was big. He, he was, was a huge receiver. Big. Yeah. So not a speed burner, though. No. So so Favre has this cannon arm, and he wants to throw to Brooks, right? He yeah. wants to throw to, to wide, even, um, you know, Schrader. Yeah, fast, yeah. fast, long striding guys. And so Sterling Sharp does not fit that mold. He's older and in his career, so he's not as fast as he was. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons that this thing probably quietly goes away in a mm-hmm. year after that, even if he doesn't get hurt, uh, because you can't you can't have two alpha dogs. Yeah. You can't have somebody dissing the team. You can't have a greedy player on the team, and he just doesn't fit the mold of who Brett Favre is going to be really successful with. No, and, and you saw Sterling Sharp had a ridiculous end to the season. I think he had like 13 touchdowns in the last six games, but... One of the things you saw is that Brett really started to learn how to run the offense. Uh, he didn't do what Hunley does now and run away. <laughs> you know, when in the early parts of Brett Favre's career, when he got blitzed, he would roll to his right or he'd run back, and it really clicked for him in midway of this third season. Yeah, that I'm not supposed to do that. There are guys open if I can just stand in this pocket, and he started spreading it around. That's when Brooks started coming on more. That's when Mark Chimura started getting involved right. in the offense, and so. And and two, Sterling Sharp, even without that injury, there was some speculation that it was caused in part because there already was some neck damage and that this made him ripe for it. So it depends on how much history we're changing. If we're just changing those two hits in 94, this potentially could have still happened to Sterling Sharp down the road. But he's 30 years old. In the 1994 offseason, he had uh, his toe surgically repaired because in 93, I don't know if you remember this, he didn't practice all season. Because That's of a toe injury. Right. Well, this is one of my cringeworthy things is that before that amazing game in Detroit, Detroit in the playoffs, he, catches the, right? he got a cortisone shot in the tip of his big toe. Wow. So that's unpleasant. Yeah. So, so he's already banged up. He's a bit of a malcontent. He would have turned 30 years old in the 95 season. So I think that um, if he stays with the Packers – well, well, let me let me just make. They a were comment. great without him. Yeah, is the I, point I, I, I got you. The, the point is when Brett Favre, when you have a new quarterback, 
you know, and they're the best receiver on the team. You have a tendency at the line of scrimmage to go. You know where that route's going to go yep. for your best receiver. If if things start to fall apart, I'm just going to my best receiver. And for a long time, that was Sterling Sharp. Yeah. Uh, and when you only can make have time, or you only have the experience to make one read, like we were talking about, make a read and then dump it off to the running back or whatever, mm-hmm. like like that's your read. Sterling Sharp is your read yeah. when, if if you're in trouble. Well, now Brett Favre matures mm-hmm. and he steps up in the pocket and he's actually reading second and third reads. And now all of a sudden, Sterling Sharp. Uh, because he's been the guy for so long, he gets all the best cover guys. Now other people are really open, and yep. Brett knows how to hit them. Yep. So that's a natural evolution of a quarterback going from one dominant receiver to spreading the ball around. Yep. And um, so, so like Sterling was a great receiver. He really yep. was, and and uh, he's underrated. Yeah. Uh, by an awful lot of people, but um, just that the whole idea that he was too good to play in Green Bay, has always stuck in my crop. Well, and, and the offense got better without him, believe it or not, because Robert Brooks had a Pro Bowl caliber year but didn't go to the Pro Bowl because of some miracle of the world. Every receiver had the best receiving season ever in 95. <laughs> right. Chamura went to the Pro Bowl. Edgar Bennett had the first 1,000-yard rushing season by a Packer runner since Middleton almost 20 years before. So the offense got better. But here's the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we um, wrap this up is that the speculation is always about Sterling Sharp. How good could he have gotten as far as all-time statistics if he had played? Because he was putting up Jerry Rice-like numbers when he was playing. Right. But acknowledging that he was banged up and also the fact that the Packers' offense kept humming without him, I decided to take a few um, scenarios here and carry Sterling Sharp's career beyond his actual career. And so I thought this was a fair way to do it. He's already 30 years old by the time 1995 starts, and he's a bit banged up, and he's a malcontent, all these things, and the rest of the team's getting better. Right. I said, what if I just give him Robert Brooks's second half of his career from 1995 on and say he puts up similar numbers? Because Brooks had 1,500 yards uh, receiving off of 100-plus catches and 13 touchdowns in 95. That sounds like a Sterling Sharp year. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, he starts fighting injury, and he's still an effective player. But, you know, at this point, Sterling Sharp would have been 31, 32, 33. And that's the magic age for, you know, uh, other than offensive linemen mm-hmm. and kickers. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought that was reasonable. So if you give Sterling Sharp Robert Brooks is 95 through 2000. He finishes with 814 receptions for 1100 uh or I'm sorry 11,456 yards and 92 touchdowns. That meant meant he would have retired after the 2000 season, number 5 in touchdowns, tied for 8th in receptions and 13th in yards. That's probably good enough to get into the Hall of Fame. Um so that's an interesting thing and I thought let's go with the absolutely crazy scenario. Okay. Let's say that the toe injury is not a big deal. The neck is not a problem. I'm giving him Antonio Freeman's career. Okay. So I'm giving him Robert Brooks' 95, which is a Sterling Sharp-esque season. And then I'm giving him Freeman's 96 through 2003. Sounds generous. So it's very generous, but this is the not-so-what-if scenario. So that means Sterling Sharp plays until he's 38 years old. And if you give him Freeman's career... And this is just also a showcase of how darn good those non-Sterling Sharp guys were. Right. I mean, awesome. He would finish if, with his career plus Robert Brooks's 95 and the rest of Freeman's career from 96 on. 1,166 receptions, 16,776 yards, and 138 touchdowns. He would have retired second to Jerry Rice in t- 
touchdowns, receptions, and yards, and would still be fourth in touchdowns, fourth in receptions, second in yards today. Oh my gosh. So if you give him the production that the Packers got with Brooks and Freeman through the rest of Freeman's career, it turns Sterling Sharp into basically Jerry Rice. Um, or, or I guess maybe more Randy Moss right, or, right, or, or Terrell area. Owens. Um, so the point of that is to say that um, I don't think those were likely, but it's more to show that Antonio Freeman and Robert Brooks combined had six 1,000-yard seasons without um, Sterling Sharp, and Bill Schrader had a 1,000-yard right, season in right. there. So I think for Sharp personally, and he was a dynamic player with an interesting skill set, it would have been nice to see him continue. But I think as far as the Packers are concerned, it doesn't do much. And I'm highly skeptical that Sterling Sharp would have been that productive for that long. And, and and the other thing you have to remember is Sharp's personality, if he's demanding the ball, yeah. now you don't develop Antonio Freeman. And Absolutely. you don't develop Robert Brooks. Um, and what happens to the tight ends? Right, exactly. And so and so those players stay in the background. Sterling Sharp retires, and they haven't had a chance to become favorite targets of Brett Favre. Uh, and you, you rewrite history there as well. Yeah, so I, I think it's an interesting thought experiment that many Packer fans have had. But... People tend to forget that he was a bit of a diva at times. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's he, what I remember. After the fact, he's been a pretty cool guy in his retirement, but what can you do at this point? Well, he, he speaks very well of the Packers, but I, from my remembrance, he speaks much nicely, much better about them now than he did when he was playing in the last, uh, last years of his career. I would imagine that's true, and my extra bizarro scenario that I envisioned um, was... What if he leaves in 95, probably goes to... So he could either have been like the Dallas guy, which he would have fit in there, but he seems more like the, I'll sign with the Saints for like a bajillion dollars <laughs> be- right. because he just wants it. But what are the odds that somehow uh, he's gone and as those early free agent contracts were, guys would sign these monster deals, they wouldn't work out, they'd get cut because guys didn't understand, or the GMs didn't understand the damage they were doing to the salary cap. And then Sterling Sharp in about 97 when he's 32 years old says, yeah, I'll, I'll go play a season with my brother and takes on the Packers oh in Super gosh. Bowl 32. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> nightmares. I have nightmares about uh, Super Bowl 32 already. You don't need to add to it. Maybe that would have galvanized the Packers to be like, this POS, let's go, wow. <laughs> let's go kick some butt. So, um, yeah, so I don't think a lot changes in history, but it's certainly fun to think about. Uh, great question. I think it's a really great question. Thank you. Absolutely. So if you want to in- to uh, submit your own what-if topics or, like Daniel did, other topics about the past, we're dying for them. Our team lost to the crappy Ravens 23-0 to yesterday. And this is really fun for us. I mean, I've, yeah. this is, like, way more fun than talking about our team right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So please contribute to those topics. You can do so on Facebook, uh, the Green and Gold Forever podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can send them to us on Twitter, Green Gold Forever. Chris, that's the number four. The number four. I'm trying to think of a way to uh, four. Um, is that number turnovers we had yesterday? Um, I believe they had five, but uh, so yeah. five minus one is four. Yeah, five. There, there you go. There's math. <laughs> a math lesson. Uh, you can also um, follow us um, on the go. So our complete archives actually are available at greengoldforever.podbeat.com online. So we have our complete archives online as well as some articles that we have written. So check those out if you haven't already. And uh, 
follow Green and Gold Forever on the go, either using the iTunes app where you can search for Green and Gold Forever and uh, subscribe on there, or on the Podbean app, which is also a great uh, listening app for your mobile device and podcasting. Follow us on there and rate and subscribe on both of those and then rate and review on either of those if you're so inclined. I have never been so sure that the Packers are going to lose a football game in the history of Green and Gold Forever than I am that they're going to lose on Sunday Night Football at the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I think I had more hope when, when Matt Flynn was playing the Patriots <laughs> yeah. that year. I, I just, you know, come up with the scenario that they win. Yeah. Not anything that is not gruesome that involves wishing misfortune on others. Right, right, exactly. So, um, you know... Uh, hang in there. You lose if you lose this one. You're five and six, and then you have to win like literally every game the rest of the game, uh, or start thinking about draft choices. And it's a good chance for the whole team to see where they stand because Pittsburgh's legit this year. They look like they might. It's them in New England in a showdown to see who's going to win the Super Bowl. In my opinion, yeah, I think so too. They're 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 that much better than everybody else. So it, you, I guess embrace the test. You got to play the game whether you like it or not, and it's going to be on national TV. So You'll be watching one good team at least. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be ugly, but either way, we'll be here to recap it for you. So um, enjoy the Badgers, who are doing well, uh, one step away. I'm almost too afraid to talk about them because this is the trap game. Um, so maybe we'll leave that till next week. Yeah, but go Bucky, man. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. They're our saving grace this year. So thank <laughs> goodness they've decided to have maybe their best year ever in the year when the Packers are struggling the worst they have in 25 years. So uh, for that, uh, we'll enjoy football this weekend as much as possible. and uh, we'll Happy re- Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, yes. Yeah, exactly I, right. I almost forgot. Football, tur- football in Turkey. I mean, is there a better day in the year? <laughs> what are you most looking forward to eating? Uh, so I'm a, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white meat, turkey, gravy, and potatoes, man. You can, everything else can go off the side of the table. I will eat myself into a food coma and then fall asleep in front of the TV. And it's honestly it's one of my favorite days of the whole <laughs> You're year. You're not going to stay up to watch the Redskins and Giants? I won't be able to stay up to watch the second game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm with you on all that stuff. And I'm also looking for, I'm a, I love stuffing. So I'm, I'm looking forward there to that. We make our own, none of the stovetop crap. We got sausage stuffing that grandma's making. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So, Sounds great. Um, everybody enjoy Thanksgiving. Have a very happy and safe holiday um, and the start to a great season. Maybe the Packers won't be a part of the holidays and we'll actually enjoy them and, and spend time with our, our family. We'll talk about I guess. something else like our children or something. Yeah, that's, that, that doesn't sound fun. Hopefully they can beat the Steelers and save us from that. Take care, everyone.